Welcome back to Corruption of Child Protective Services. I am your host, David Shore. So far, we've learned about the history of CPS. We've learned where the term in the best interest of the children originated. We learned that rich white men will do just about anything to make a buck, especially selling his own kind, that the product changed. It was the men, and it was the men and women, and when slavery was abolished, they found another way. They took the children, separated them, especially those that were poor and were immigrants. Now, what's the economic expense? Now remember, I am getting my information from sources such as Carlos Morales, former Texas CPS investigator, turn advocate. He states, now the use of expensive brand name patent protected medication was prevalent in the studies regarding foster children. In the case of SSRIs, the use of the most expensive medications was noted to be 74% compared to the general market where only 28% are for brand name SSRIs instead of generics. The average out-of-pocket expense per prescription was $34.75 for generics and $90.17 from branded products, which is a $55.42 difference. Now that's the economic cost, which isn't as important as the mental effects on the children. So it's always been about dollars and cents. The economic expense, just putting children on psychotropic drugs. You can see how the pharmaceutical industry was making a killing. They were making money hand over fist. Something we didn't even know about. But then again, it is in the best interest of the children. But the physical expense. These drugs are not without severe side effects, including more severe depression, lower IQ, a lack of brain growth in children, suicidal tendencies, emotional aggravation, anger outbursts, and those who are, are just the mental side effects. Other physical side effects can include stunted growth of organs, weight gain for some, and weight loss for others. They knew about the side effects. They just decided, hey, we're making money off of the, this product. Don't care. And they know, oh, a few of them aren't going to make it. But those that do, if they ask what's wrong with the child, oh, child's okay. Just a little quiet today. It'll be all right. But those that have been in the foster care system, you know different. This is something that's been kept quiet. And why? Because if the public, such as yourselves, were to actually find out the truth of what's going on, and you would believe people like the Nancy Schaefer's, the Bill Bowens, and the Carlos Morales's, CPS would be out of business because if the government actually did care and cared about these children more than once every two to four years at election time, they would actually come down hard on this state agency telling states such as Indiana, Minnesota, California, New York, Texas, and other states they tell the governors, this is unacceptable, and we will not allow it. 
couple years ago, it appeared that CPS was going to be defunded because less money was going out for them. I don't know what is going on now. I know that this president made sure, or at least the governor of Indiana made sure that they got more money due to COVID-19 response. What an excuse to get more money so he can take more children. Starting to get upset? If you're not already? Homelessness and foster children. Before I go on with this one, January this year, I was homeless. And yes, I did see children on the streets. But I seen them with their families. I was very surprised that CPS had not taken those children. But maybe they're not the type of children they're looking for. Carlos Morales goes on. How do these kids do after getting out of foster care? Three out of ten of the United States homeless are former foster children. Let me repeat that. Three out of ten of the United States homeless are former foster children. According to the results of the Casey Family Study of Foster Care Alumni, up to 80% that's eight zero percent are doing poorly with a quarter to a third of former foster children at or below the poverty line three times the national poverty rate very frequently people who are homeless had multiple placements as children some were in foster care but others experienced unofficial placements in the homes of family or friends. Here's the real kicker. Nearly half of foster children in the U.S. become homeless when they turn 18. Why is that the kicker? Because that is when they stop being in the system or the CPS system. Now, that's not to say that now they have a mental issue, as you've heard here, that they are turned over to adult protective services. It's just another name. But they make sure that the individual stays in the system. Now, do they get paid as much? My research has indicated that The only money that is really made is when their children from the age of birth, first day, to the age of 18. So if they keep the child that long, or at least the two years that they state, they adopt the child out and they get money hand over fist. It's sickening. Our children just became the next PlayStation. And as you can tell, a lot of them want to play with them in the system. Sickening. Here's something, mortality in foster children. He says to finish up here, let's take a look at mortality rate. Children are six times more likely to die in foster homes than if they stayed in an abusive household. Bill Bowen shows that firsthand in his documentary, Innocence Destroyed. Now, why do I say all this? Because this is a subject that people keep ignoring. If we ignore it, maybe it'll go away. If we ignore it and allow the government to take care of it, maybe it'll get better. It doesn't get better. It gets worse. Why is child sex trafficking and sex trafficking in general being brought up this year? Who knows? Maybe it is because people are finding starting to speak up. For them, I say thank you. I commend you.
He concludes, so let's do short review of the evidence regarding foster children. Foster kids are seven to eight times more likely to be abused than normal children. Nearly half will end up homeless. They are three times more likely to be put on psychotropic drugs. Seven times more likely to develop an eating disorder. More likely to have PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder, than veterans of war. And less likely to recover from that PTSD. More likely to become pregnant as a teenager. 20% more likely to be arrested and are six times more likely to die than if they stayed in an abusive household. Foster homes are where good kids go to die. And it is time for individuals to acknowledge that when the state's fixes problems, it leads to the blood of the innocent flowing on the floor. We're We're all standing in blood and the majority are asking for more to be shed when they ask for more state intervention. Isn't that something? And this is a man that was in the system. This was a man that actually, actually was an investigator. And I bet he's seen good, happy homes ripped apart. Look around, nothing's wrong. And he's got a supervisor saying, hey, Take that child. I don't care. And in the back of the supervisor's mind says, I wonder how much we're going to get this time. I wonder we're going to get 2000 or 10000 Well, I bet the supervisor was hoping $10,000 a month. How much does the investigator get out of that? When we return, I'm going to be talking about exposing the religion of government. But more importantly, a technique that only the police use, that when you hear it, you're going to realize that CPS thinks it's a law enforcement agency. We'll be back. Welcome back. Now, before the break, I said going to be exposing the religion of government. Well, thinkaboutnow.com stated that. It said every child born into this world is part of a cult. That cult is called the state. Statism is the single most dangerous religion on earth today. Yet most don't realize that it's a superstition. The Libertarian Atheist Podcast destroys statist dogma and sheds light on the devastation that statism has led to. Now, The person says statism is the single most dangerous religion on earth today. And people say, well, I thought that was the Church of Scientology. The Church of Scientology is just following what has been going on for centuries. Remember, CPS started in the Chancellery in good old England. They came up with the term in the best interests of the children. They found a way in which to take children and raise them the way they felt. Sounds a lot like what's going on now. But CPS, including Miss Terry Stigden, would beg to differ. Yes, I know you're listening. After all, I sent you the link to this podcast. Yes, people, I want to make sure that DCS and CPS or whatever initials they want to give themselves, I want them to know that I am talking about them and I'm giving this information. Now, I told you I was going to tell you a technique that only law enforcement uses. You can look this up anywhere online. It's called the read technique. 
Now, you probably never heard of Reed Technique. I didn't either until I came across it one day while doing research. The Reed Technique is a method of interrogation. The psychological system was developed in the United States by John E. Reed in the 1950s, who was a psychologist, polygraph expert, and former Chicago police officer. I'm going to repeat those words again. John E. Reed in the 1950s, who was a psychologist, polygraph expert, and former Chicago police officer. Proponents of the Reed technique says it is useful in extracting information from otherwise unwilling suspects. However, critics say the technique results in an unacceptably high rate of false confessions, especially from juveniles. How does CPS use it? As I will explain how it goes and specifically the nine ways that they use it and this is just on the police but make no mistake once you hear you're gonna know that CPS uses these exact same techniques you know how CPS talks to children without their parents present even though legally they cannot do it they do it because they want money. Then again, I that's all I've been saying since the very beginning. Children are a product. They don't care about the best interest of the children. It's the best interest of the state. Why else do they keep on asking for more money every single year from the federal government? They're stating, oh, we're keeping children safe. Are they? Or are they just covering up a bigger corruption? Donald Trump, the President of the United States, says he's draining the swamp. CPS is a great place to drain. After all, if he can drain the swamp of CPS, a good majority of the corruption goes away. Now, there are nine steps of interrogation. The Reed Technique's nine steps of interrogations are, the first one is positive confrontation. Advise a suspect that the evidence has led the police to the individual as a suspect. Offer the person an early opportunity to explain why the offense took place. See if this sounds familiar. Hi, I'm from Child Protective Services. We got a report that you, you, your child is being abused. Can I ask you a few questions? Automatically, the person's coming out and saying that you're abusing your children without actually coming out and saying you abuse your children because they have to look at the children. They have to examine the children. You've already been accused and you don't even have a lawyer if you let them in your home. Which if you're smart, you won't and you will contact a lawyer. Second, try to shift the blame away from the suspect to some other person or set of circumstances that prompted the suspect to commit the crime. That is, develop themes containing reasons that will psychologically justify or excuse the crime. Themes may be developed or changed to find one to which the accused is most responsive. How many times has CPS, if you've been involved with a Child protect Protective Services investigation, it says, well, you know, children will be children. You know, maybe they were running and they fell. Or, well, maybe you didn't mean to hit your child. You know, accidents happen. Maybe you were having a bad day. Think of what CPS does 
the questions they ask, the leading questions to children, why they don't want you to record them. Okay. Here's the third one. See if this sounds familiar. Try to minimize the frequency of suspect denials. <laughs> How many times do they not want to hear your explanation? It says, hey, we'll get back to that later. Or, well, you know, we've got the evidence here. You, you know, you sure that that actually happened? How many times has if you been involved in CPS, an investigation, how many times that you're, you keep on denying that you state this didn't happen and they keep on coming back with, look, I'm just trying to get to the truth. I'm trying to help you. How many times have you helped? heard that let's go on to number four at this point the accused will often give a reason why he or she did not or could not commit the crime try to use this to move towards the acknowledgement of what they did how many times has cps say oh really and they're writing things down that is why and i'm going to say it too Others have probably said it, and if they haven't, or if you haven't heard it, watch what you say. Watch what you say around teachers. Watch what you say around CPS. Watch what you say around law enforcement. Never say anything without a lawyer present. The next one, reinforce sincerity to ensure that the suspect is receptive. You know... Oh, you know, I really understand. Yeah, you know, it's really not your fault. You know, you just reacted, and that's perfectly understandable. How many times have you heard that one? The suspect will become quieter and listen. Move the theme of the discussion towards offering alternatives. If the suspect cries at this point, infer guilt. Well, when it comes to CPS, the reason why you're crying may be because your child has been hurt. And you want to do everything you can to protect your child. Now you're going to get upset also. Or at least I would think you would get upset because I would get upset CPS accusing me of doing something. Plus also CPS might be trying to get you to cry because remember they have to, they would infer guilt that you did something. How about this? Pose the alternative question, giving two choices for what happened. One more socially acceptable than the other. The suspect is expected to choose the easier option, but whichever alternative the suspect chooses, guilt is admitted. As stated above, there is always a third option, which is to maintain that they did not commit the crime. Now, if you have been involved in this, you also know that they get very upset, very upset if you do that. Because they want you to admit that you abused your child when you know you didn't. Lead the suspect to repeat the admission of guilt in front of witnesses and develop corroborating information to establish the validity of the confession. Chances are you're going to have another CPS investigator and possibly also law enforcement around you. How many times have they lied on uh, their reports? And finally, document the suspect's admission or confession and have him or her prepare a recorded statement, audio, video, or written. 
In other words, they want you to hang yourself seven ways from Sunday. No matter if it's a law enforcement investigation or it's a CPS investigation. As you can see, CPS wants to be law enforcement. And as you can also see, they use techniques that later on, when we come back, I will state about the validity of the interrogation and also what the alternative models should be. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Well, the read technique's validity is being criticized. In fact, it's been criticized ever since it first came out. Now, critics claim the technique too easily produces false confessions, especially with juveniles. With second language speakers in their non-native language and with people whose communication and language abilities are affected by mental disabilities, including reduced intellectual capacity. So if you got a child that is moderate mentally handicapped or autistic, it's easy to be able to lead them to what you want them to say. Many times, the child with a mental disability won't remember what they had said, which is exactly what CPS wants. They just want it on tape. That way they say, well, the child at the time said this. And they can use that in court, and especially if they want to bring up criminal charges, they can say, oh, it's excited utterance, or present sense impression, or then mental, then ex existing mental and emotional state. Now, of 311 people exonerated through post-conviction DNA testing, more than a quarter had given false confessions, including those convicted of such notorious cases as the Central Park Five. On a future episode, I will talk about a gentleman, John Stoll, and the McMartin daycare case. If you do not know about either one, I'm not surprised the McMartin daycare case made national headlines. That one shocked the whole nation, but found out that forensic interviewers use techniques that they still use today so they can get more money several European countries prohibit some interrogation techniques that are currently allowed in the United States such as a law enforcement officer lying to a suspect about evidence due to the perceived risk of false confessions and wrongful convictions that might result particularly with juveniles how many times have you watched a show like Law and Order or Law and Order Criminal Intent or Law and Order Special Victims Unit? They do not have the evidence. They say, oh, well, we have the evidence that proves you were at the scene of the crime. Or we have DNA evidence to prove that you did it. And how many times does a person want to confess? They infer guilt if the person is quiet. They infer guilt when the person is crying. But make no mistake, this technique is coercive. This technique will make people confess to things that they didn't do. There's a saying my parents told me. They said, just because you confessed to kidnapping the Lindbergh baby that doesn't mean you actually did. They still have to have evidence or cooperating evidence. And as you're finding out, even that evidence can be shaky. For example, 
Section 136A of the German Strat Prozen Sword. <laughs> uh, it's a German uh, code. It's a code of criminal procedure. Bans the use of deception and intimidation in interrogations. The Reed method also conflicts with the German police's obligation to adequately inform the suspect of their right to silence. Now, people have been getting mad at countries like Germany. Yet, according to this information, which you can get on Wikipedia, it bans the use of deception and intimidation of interrogations. The Reed method also conflicts with the German police's obligation to adequately inform the suspect of their right to silence. So, in other words, the police in Germany and other places around the world can't use it. In Canada, Provincial Court Judge Mike Dinkel, D-I-N-K-E-L, ruled in 2012 that, quote, stripped to its bare essentials, the Reed technique is a guilt-presumptive, confrontational, psychologically manipulative procedure whose purpose is to extract a confession. I'm going to repeat what that judge said so you understand what he actually said. Now, this is a Canadian Provincial Court Judge, Mike Dinkel, in 2012 ruled that, quote, stripped to its bare essentials, the Reed technique is a guilt-presumptive, confrontational, psychologically manipulative procedure whose purpose is to extract a confession. In court in South Bend, Indiana, South Bend Superior Court Judge John M. Marnuka stated that even though the police use techniques such as this, it is completely legal to do because they have to get to the bottom of the case. So in other words, we can use Gestapo tactics if I'm a law enforcement, I can use those tactics. Can use that technique to get a confession out of the person. Whether or not it is appealed down the road, you got the conf confession, you got the conviction. That's all that counts. Not to mention how much money they get. They get about between thirty dollars and $50,000 per inmate. Now, in December 2013, an unredacted copy of a secret FBI interrogation manual was discovered in the Library of Congress, and it is available for public view. The manual confirmed American Civil Liberties Union concerns that FBI agents use, used the Reed technique in interrogations. Wow, the feds used a Reed technique. Wow. I wonder if uh, they learned that from CPS and if Reed learned that from CPS or if CPS learned it from Reed and learned its techniques. You're starting to see how CPS acts like a law enforcement when they're using the Reed technique. Abuses of interrogation methods includes officers treating accused suspects aggressively and telling them lies about the amount of evidence proving their guilt. How many times has CPS says that they've had a credible witness stating that they have seen abuse? Remember the woman that neighbors said that she allows her toddlers to roam in the backyard where she had a swimming pool? Later on finding out that the woman did not have toddlers. She had teenagers and had no swimming pool. But CPS still had to go through. At least with that, the police would look back and say, wait a minute, where's the pool? And it's like, I, I don't have a pool. And it's like, okay, can we talk to the kids? And if they say no, they would have to then get a court order. 
Now, such exaggerated, exaggerated claims of evidence, such as video or genetics, have the potential when combined with such coercive tactics as threats of harm or promises of leniency to cause innocent suspects to become psychologically overwhelmed. How many times has someone confessed and then later found out that they were coerced? In a CPS family court case, doesn't matter. There was a judge that told this couple, I don't want to hear it. I don't care. Later, that same judge gave the daughter back to the woman. Then again, she had a mountain of evidence to prove she was not abusive, that she was not a threat or a danger. And that was in Indiana and CPS was up in arms. Surprised that the judge didn't do anything like sanction them. In 2003, an innocent Canadian man who repeated he was not guilty and was on a bus at the time the robbery in question occurred, successfully sued the Hamilton Police Service for coercion that resulted in a false confession by him. I will tell you, you can sue CPS. It takes time because they hide behind 11th Amendment qualified immunity. Now that's supposed to be for government agents, supposed to be for judges, police officers, lawyers. It was not intended for an agency that would use it to boost their numbers. And by numbers, I mean financial numbers. Now, in 2015, eight organizations, including John E. Reed and Associates, settled with Juan Rivera, who was wrongfully convicted of the 1992 rape and murder of 11-year-old Holly Stacker. A number of pieces of evidence excluded Rivera, including DNA from the rape kit and the report from the electronic ankle monitor he was wearing at the time as he awaited trial for a non-violent burglary but he falsely confessed to the stalker staker crimes after being interrogated by the police several days after taking two polygraph examinations at Reed and Associates Reed and Associates remember this is his technique after his exoneration Rivera files a suit for false arrest and malicious prosecution. The case was settled out of court with John E. Reed and Associates paying $2 million. Wow. Families have sued, and I will be going over that in a future episode of families who have successfully sued CPS. Courts have ordered as much as $100 million to families because of their how they do things. Alternative models the peace, pre- preparation and planning engage and explain account, closure and evaluate model developed in Britain encourages more of a dialogue between investigator and suspect let me repeat that it peace stands for preparation and planning engage and explain account closure and evaluate that's peace it encourages more of a dialogue between investigator and suspect wow developed in Britain isn't that where CPS originated looks like besides law enforcement they're also trying to get people to understand that they made a mistake. In 2015, the Royal Canadian Mounted Police adopted a new standard influenced by the peace model. Sergeant Darren Carr, C-A-R-R, who trains police with the new approach, described it as less Kojak and more Dr. Phil. This approach eschews 
the use of deceptive information to overwhelm suspects. It emphasizes information gathering over eliciting confessions and discourages investigators from presuming a suspect's guilt. Now, if they could just do that for CPS, tell them you're using this technique. If you don't like it, there's the door. Don't let it hit you in the ass when you leave. It's time we change the script. It's time that we do something more than just business as usual. When I come back, I will give you more thoughts on this. But mark my words, this is something that had to be told. Welcome back. You know, CPS, the whole point of CPS was separating families from their children, putting them in places because they felt that it's in the best interest of the children that they be placed first in places whereby like orphanages or put them to work. Later they said, okay, we're going to find middle-class white families to take these children who come from poor families. And it was Hispanics, it was blacks, it was even Chinese. You know, they were poor. And over time it was, well, we got a few white families that are poor. Let's take their kids. It doesn't matter the race. All it matters is, hey, guess what? This is what we'll do. We will take these children. We'll put them in middle-class white families. We'll put them in families that are better off, middle-class. And we'll, get, we'll throw them some money so they can take care of the child. Whether or not the children are actually being abused or not. This is CPS. They get the police involved. No court order. No warrant. They talk to your children at school. Without your knowledge. They say, sorry, this is on private property, even though it's a public school. And the schools say, we cooperate with law enforcement. We will be the, your child's representative. When you're not here, we will be their parent. Now realizing that many times they use coercive techniques such as the read technique. And one main reason is because they have to get children and especially those that are have a mental disability ones that intellectually are susceptible to influence, that they can use techniques such as, did mommy and dad or daddy ever touch you? Well, if the child gets a hug, you know, is that a form of touching? Yes. How many people have hugged their children? And of course, they may say, has mommy and daddy ever hugged you and you felt uncomfortable? And of course, a child wanting to please the adult, especially those that have a mental disability, they will say, well, yes, they don't want to be known as the child that the way it was described they say, oh, well, the child just wants to be accepted. So they'll say anything. Mentally handicapped children many times are teased. And so when they use this technique, they know that they've got it. Recently, I believe it's six or seven or more 
mentally handicapped children with a lawyer successfully sued the Indiana Department of Child Services over their techniques. Stated that they had overstepped their authority. They made the kids say things that were not true. If you have a child that's mentally handicapped, you know how this is. I have two grown mentally handicapped children. It is the most exhausting yet most rewarding. And I would not trade the experience for anything. Those of you that have children that they call mainstream, if they don't give you any problems, I commend you. If you have children that are acting out, children will act out. Children will push the boundaries. But CPS doesn't look at it like that. They look at it like there's an underlying problem. These children are being abused. That's why they're acting out. If the school says to put your child on Ritalin or something, and you say no. Hello, CPS. Uh, I like to report a child being abused because you will not do what the school says. You won't do, take the suggestion of a doctor. Now that's all it is, is a suggestion. It's up to you how you raise your children. Supreme Court has clearly stated that you have the right to raise your children any way you see fit. CPS doesn't want you to do that. They want you to listen to them, jump through their hoops, say, well, we're going to take your children until you can get your act together. And you're supposed to say, oh, yeah, sure, no problem. Oh, do you have any classes? Oh, well, we'll get to you, get back to you on that. Or, well, we got, like, substance abuse classes, um, anchor management classes, uh, this class, that class. It has nothing to do with what they want, and that is maybe parenting classes. Say, look, if you don't know how to handle this, Maybe we can have the children stay with you and you take the classes and then we can observe you doing that. But get a independent third party. Don't use CPS. Don't use law enforcement. Let them observe like place here called Families First. They observe. CPS doesn't like them a lot of times, I hear, because they actually will tell the truth. They'll say, hey, nothing is going on, looks happy, healthy, and normal. Now, if that's the case, then why are so many children in the system? Well, I think I've answered that. It's because of best interests of the state, how much money they can get per child, they remove from the home and keep the child out. From here on out, I'm going to continue talking about cases, how CPS is, how they falsify documents to justify their numbers. If you're getting upset, check this information out. And Ms. Terry Stigden, yeah, I'm going to keep on addressing you. I'm pointing out facts. Prove me wrong. Prove me wrong that what I'm saying is false. This is inf information you can get anywhere on the internet. I'm just merely relaying it. But there's going to be cases, especially from the state of Indiana, I will be talking about. And you, the public, can decide for yourselves if CPS is your friend or if CPS is just like the Gestapo, that they're using techniques that most of the civilized world, including Germany, has banned. Not just from the police, but if they haven't, they should from CPS investigators. So, from here on out, if you don't want to listen anymore, 
I perfectly understand. But if you listen, know this. This is a subject that had to be told. And it must be told. This information has to get out. The more people hear it, maybe change will finally happen. Remember this date, March 26, 2010. Every year, there is an event, the Nancy Schaefer Remembrance. Every year, they try their best, this group tries their best to get to Washington, D.C., protest at the steps of the Capitol building, steps of the Supreme Court, steps of Congress, protesting, speaking. If you can, check it out. And above all, use your voice. I'm using mine. I want you to look out there. I want you to understand that at any given moment, a child can be taken by CPS. They can even take a child out of the hospital after being born or just a routine physical. It's called medical kidnapping. Hospitals allow it all the time. No court order, no warrant. Just a child taken. Parents don't know until after the fact. Then they have to fight tooth and nail to get their child back. Maybe they're successful, maybe they're not. But mark my words. When you're, what you're going to hear in the next episodes is just information. Like I keep saying, you can get this on the internet. I'll leave you with some famous words. The late Bruce Lee said, the most dangerous person is the one who listens, thinks, and observes. Be that person. Listen to everything. Think about what they're saying. Observe their actions. CPS hates it. Because when you're observant, you actually know what's going on. This is David Shore for Corruption of Child Protective Services.